right, welcome back, everybody. We're here with an emergency episode of the Hardwood Homies NBA Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Hoy, and I'm joined over the phone by Cesar Smokowski. How you been, Cesar? I'm doing well, man. Uh, before we get into the real news, we have some other news. I'd like to give my deepest consolences and give a formal eulogy to LeBron James' hairline. He's lasted a long time, but he's finally gone. Jackson, this is a perfect example. Take notes. You got to go gracefully into that storm, my boy. You know what it is, man. Uh, You know, that hairline was the only thing that was keeping Beyonce and Jay-Z together, so I don't know what's going to happen now, but whew, next season will be wild. But let's get into the real news now. Yeah, th- that was not uh, the emergency, just to be clear. Um, the emergency was, for uh, anyone who hasn't been following the past few days, was the fact that the Boston Celtics have traded the number one pick to the Philadelphia 76ers, and that has obviously completely reshaped this year's draft. Uh, it's become clear that the Sixers are going to select Markel Fultz with that number one pick, so any lingering doubt about who would be the number one pick, you know, the, the Josh Jackson speculation, the... I don't think anyone was really speculating Lonzo Ball to the Celtics, but, I mean, there were people, I'm sure, talking about it somewhere, but it's been made clear that the Sixers made this trade with the intention of drafting Markel Fultz, and now the Celtics are back at number three, so... This is obviously a uh, a huge deal for this draft. We the number one pick hasn't been traded prior to the draft in a long time. I'm not sure the last time it happened, but it definitely has not happened in quite some time. So this is something that's very interesting to see, at least. So, what's your first takeaways on this, Cesar? Uh, I mean, I think it was a big upheaval, you know, Danny the Chipmunk Ainge, you know, the man just loves stockpiling trades, so uh, it makes sense, you know, in what he's been known to do, you know, no asset, as he's said, or no asset or player is immovable or, you know, untouchable, so he's obviously moved pieces before and, you know, will continue to do that to get, you know, stockpile assets to whether they're, you know, have their plan to, you know, trade for Jimmy Butler or, you know, trade up next year so it'll be interesting and uh, uh it's a big move since the number one pick in the nba draft is you know known as probably the most valuable asset in sports yeah i mean draft express has some research on the website and i think it's something like 64 percent of all number one picks end up becoming all-stars so that's that's an extremely good shot at getting an all-star that's the best shot you have really at getting an all-star in now you look at Philadelphia, they're going to have a core of Markel Fultz, Ben Simmons, and Joel Embiid, and there's already plenty of people talking about how well that core fits together, and that's that's abundantly clear. I mean, each of those players complements each other so well. You know, Simmons needs the spacing that Embiid and Fultz can provide with their three-point shooting ability, and Fultz needs those rollers and complementary offensive pieces to maximize his skill set, particularly in the pick and roll, and Simmons and Embiid are perfect for that. I mean, the upgrade that he's going to have going from his, I mean, terrible Washington teammates to playing with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, that's going to be an amazing experience for him. And outside of the 76ers aspect of this, because I think it's pretty clear why they made this trade, 
I think it's very interesting to look at why the Boston Celtics may have done this because we talked about on uh, our last podcast, the Chad Ford Report, that detailed the interest in Josh Jackson from the Boston Celtics. And I think this trade would confirm that, you know, the fact that Boston really was very high on Josh Jackson because they were willing to trade back that number one pick but still stay at number three so that they could potentially draft Josh Jackson there. So that's something that is a very, very interesting development that Boston wasn't sold on Markel Fultz being a far and away number one pick to where they would would rather have him than extra assets in Josh Jackson. Yeah, I guess they, uh, the way I see, you know, Boston really believes in Isaiah Thomas. He obviously had a record-breaking offensive season this year, averaging 28 points per game, and he led them, of course, to the number one seed in the East. So I think that they really believe in him and say he's our guy going forward, even though, you know, he's going to be getting older, and if they do give him a max contract, he'll be going well into his 30s at that point. But I think that they say, they say, oh, we've got Jalen Brown, we've got Isaiah Thomas, we've got other young pieces that we can, you know, continue to stockpile assets uh, outside of drafting a, you know, very good guy in Josh Jackson this year. So uh, it makes a lot of sense, I think, for the philosophy that Danny Ainge has. You know, he has this approach that we're going to get, you know, the most for our money. And I think that that's what he did. Uh, you know, I think that it would be really you know, will be instrumental in having all these assets in, you know, uh, you know, vying f- to get a guy like a Jimmy Butler to, you know, lock up and uh, go uh, have that guy along with the other young players. Yeah, and another really interesting aspect of this trade is the fact that obviously each draft slot has a predetermined rookie salary or predetermined cap hit that would go against the team's cap. And the trade back from number one to number three put Boston very, very close to having max cap room this summer for a potential pursuit of Gordon Hayward or Blake Griffin. So that's, I think, another aspect of this trade was that Boston was trying to open up a little bit of extra space to go pursue those guys. That way they didn't have to trade, you know, a Terry Rozier or a Marcus Smart to end up opening up that space. And uh, another thing for Boston is the extra picks they received in the future. We haven't touched on that yet, but it's, it's very interesting, the, the picks that they got from the 76ers. It was, I believe, they got a 20... So they got the Lakers pick in 2018, but it only conveys to Boston if it falls between picks number two and picks number five. Otherwise, they get Sacramento's pick in 2019 unprotected. So this was very interesting on basically both teams' parts to settle upon these protections and value each of these picks the way that they did yeah that was very strange uh you know it's obviously weird parameters on who gets you know the pick and which where it falls so i think it'll be interesting i think the lakers will be much better next year you know as much you know junk as i talk about lonzo ball he'll be a big improvement for them and if they move d'angelo russell to that two spot i think that you know they could vie for that you know number 10 or number nine spot in the west and you know it'll be interesting to see if that draft pick how valuable it ends up being for boston whether they you know use it to move up and look to get a dawn kick or you know vie for another superstar from another team yeah um i mean boston next year if brooklyn's bad again and that lakers pick conveys they'll have 
two top five picks in a draft where there looks to be a loaded top five. I mean, I think right now it's you have guys like Luka Doncic, uh, Michael Porter Jr., DeAndre Ayton, Mohamed Bamba, Colin Sexton, Miles Bridges. I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr. is another guy who could fly up there. Robert Williams. So there are a lot of guys near the top of that draft that the Celtics could really be helped by. And I think part of this trade was maybe Danny Ainge deciding that as of right now, he thinks that next year's draft is going to be a very good class and that he might you know, want to target a couple extra shots at great players in that draft over targeting or excuse me, over the guaranteed asset of Markel Fultz, because really this isn't giving away Markel Fultz, it's giving away the difference between Markel Fultz and Josh Jackson. So th- this isn't like he's just giving up on this year's class. He just, I think the, the difference between Markel Fultz and Josh Jackson was slim enough for him that, you know, a shot at a, you know, Michael Porter Jr., uh, DeAndre Ayton, and Luka Doncic, that, that was worth more to him than that, slight difference in his mind was yeah i guess the you know the difference or you know the gap between them was uh, smaller than probably other people think and with the workouts that josh jackson did i guess that he showed that he he's worth you know picking and then getting some more assets from uh of course next year will be interesting since there's you know a whole lot of big men in that draft Mo Bamba, of course, Michael Porter Jr., and, and Don Kick, who's, you know, a wing. But uh, outside of that, they, you know, they have a problem where they, the Celtics, of course, need bigs since Al Horford, you know, is has been regressing a little bit. And, you know, he's, of course, getting older. So if they get another big guy that can uh, really lock down their front court with Zizek, who's, of course, coming over from Europe, that it'll be very interesting, you know, going forward to see if they have, you know, two top five picks or how, how, where they'll land to see, you know, what big men or what really elite talent in next year's draft, which is obviously very strong, uh, can be. Yeah, I, I'd probably say Michael Porter Jr. is probably more of a power forward. I don't really see him as a center at this point. You know, maybe he could play some small ball five because he is very tall. But definitely in terms of Mohamed Bamba and DeAndre Ayton, those are two a stellar big men in next year's class that a lot of people think are going to be very great players in the NBA. So the Celtics getting a potential shot at them with that Lakers pick is very exciting. And then, of course, if that Lakers pick does not land between picks two and five, which, you know, it'd, it'd take a, a lot of a lot of luck for that to happen. That's only four possible picks, which will obviously make draft night next year another very excruciating one for the Boston Celtics. Not only that, but they'll have to see where that Brooklyn pick goes because I can't imagine that Brooklyn will make the playoffs next season. I don't, I honestly would say that's close to impossible. So that that's what that's a very interesting thing to watch. And then obviously if that pick doesn't convey, they'll receive Sacramento's 2019 pick unprotected, which I think could end up being an extremely valuable pick because we've seen the turmoil that Sacramento's organization has been and just how little competence they've shown and I wouldn't say that I'm confident that they'll be able to get their team to even close to contending by then. So that could end up being an extremely valuable pick as well. So I think Boston did a great job picking up an extra asset because obviously this, as I just mentioned, this was just trading for the difference between Markel Fultz and Josh Jackson. And if the difference between Markel Fultz and Josh Jackson ends up being a Michael Porter Jr. or a Mohamed Bamba or DeAndre Ayton, 
I think this trade was more than worth it for the Celtics. Yeah, that, that'll that be uh, quite an interesting night next year for them in the draft, seeing how they have so much at stake and, you know, what they are looking to do going forward. So where does this place you the 76ers in your perspective next year? Jackson, where, where do you think, you know, their future lies? Well, this is sort of a cop-out answer, but I definitely think it depends on health. Obviously, Ben Simmons missed this entire season. Joel Embiid has played only 31 games over his three NBA seasons, so those two players are definitely going to have to be healthy for them to be a useful team. And honestly, I also want to see what they do with their second-round picks because I think if they add a valuable 3 and D contributor with one of those second-round picks, uh, obviously we love Sterling Brown and we mock Sterling Brown to them at number 36 in our mock draft. If they could add a Sterling Brown and a couple other possible 3 and D guys in this second round and then put that, those guys around Markel Fultz, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Robert Covington, Dario Saric, uh, then their other you know, less talented guys, TJ McConnell, Timothy Luwawu, and then obviously they're going to have a ton of cap space as well. What they do with that is going to be very interesting, but I think the 76ers have the chance to be, you know, maybe a five or six seed, maybe even better depending on how good Fultz is right away, how good Ben Simmons is right away. But they're a team with a ton of upside next season, and I'm, I'm really excited to see what they look like. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think for the immediate future, I think that this trade was really necessary. You think about it, I think they get two number one picks in back-to-back, and of course Ben Simmons I think will be, you know, one of the best prospects since LeBron. You know, talk, people talk about Don Kick next year, but I think Simmons is, was a great pick last year. Uh, obviously superior to Brandon Ingram. And they have Markel Fultz this year. So I think that this, you know, will really hopefully close the process and, you know, end that the period of their, you know, life as a NBA basketball team. So I, I see them buying, I see them being really good next year. Obviously, Ben Simmons could have played uh, probably all of the second half of the season after All-Star break. You know, we saw, I saw at least a video of, you know, him practicing, dunking, you know, shooting. And, of course, it was working out well. So, I think that they were just holding him, you know, just to make sure. And, of course, uh, Joel Embiid was on strict minutes restrictions. So, uh if they do let him off, you know, off that leash, I think that he could be an even more impactful player next year. So I see him probably vying for, you know, that number four spot behind, of course, the Cavs and then the probably the Wizards and Toronto and or somebody else. So you gotta, put, or the, Boston. You gotta put the Celtics in there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Toronto or Boston. Toronto will probably fall off if Kyle Lowry does move. So uh, I think that that'll be interesting. Uh, the the uh, upcoming rivalry that I will be really interested in seeing is uh, I think instead of the rivalry between you know Ben Simmons and Brandon Ingram oh who's going to be better that's pretty much a closed book once Ben Simmons hits the floor I think the most interesting new rivalry will be between Philly and Milwaukee because both are up up and coming team of course Milwaukee has Giannis a budding superstar but you know they have a lot of injury, you know, history and have some uncertainties with Jabari Parker. So it'll be interesting to see if they, you know, those two young teams uh, clash and, you know, hopefully the Eastern Conference gets a lot better in the coming years and, you know, how that'll play out. Yeah, you look at the Eastern Conference over the next five years or so, 
you have probably the 76ers, the Bucks, the Celtics, and wherever LeBron is. If, if he stays on the Cavs, those are probably your, your contending teams going forward. The Wizards may be a cut below just because it's going to be hard for them to maintain depth. They're already not very deep, and they don't have many ways to add to their depth. But, yeah, 76ers are set up for a phenomenal future with this core. Um, I'm surprised you'd... I think you have to put Boston in, in that top three for the East. I'd, I'd probably say they might be my favorites for the number one seed again next season, just banking on internal improvement, uh, them pr- looking like they're gunning to add a max-level player in free agency, whether that's Gordon Hayward or Blake Griffin, and then also bringing in Josh Jackson, and then, as I said, the internal improvement of those young players. So I'd definitely say Boston is probably a favorite, depending on what the Cavs do this offseason. And then the Bucks obviously um, have some questions. You know, Jabari Parker's health, uh, the growth around Giannis, how much those players can get better. But they're a very intriguing team going forward. I think they have a lot of upside. And I think the 17th pick in this year's draft is a is a very big thing for them because they're if they can hit on that and add another real player to that core, that's going to be really an incredible group that they've got. But back to the trade that we were discussing this this just this is really shaking things up. I I mean, I don't think it has drastically altered the entire draft because I think that the number one player will stay the same and the number three player and at least a lot of people's minds will stay the same. Uh, we we had De'Aaron Fox going number three, but it looks as though Josh Jackson is going to go number three to the Celtics. So I still think that 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 will change a little bit. De'Aaron Fox could fall to number four or number five. I don't think he gets past there. So this does shake up the top ten a little bit, but I don't think it's going to drastically alter the entire draft like some of these you know, blockbuster trades might. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense for both teams. Of course, the Celtics planning for next year and, you know, what their what their, you know, GM's philosophy is. But I think that the, you know, the most, uh, the only thing that Philly, I think, was, you know, obviously benefited from this a lot. They kept all of their first round picks. They have all their first round picks through 2020. So that's good that they didn't have to you know, mortgage their own picks to move up any spots. They just used, you know, the picks that they have from other teams, which was obviously a very good part on their on uh, on their part on their GM. So, yeah, uh, I think the trade was a big benefit for them. Uh, the only thing that would have really, you know, made it better is if they actually were able to move Jaleel Okafor, and, you know, instead of one of those picks or something like that. Uh, I'm still uh, baffled that they, you know, have Okafor on the roster. Obviously, you know, he's a gifted offensive piece, but outside of that, you know, he doesn't do very much for them. He hasn't seen much time, but uh, he won't impact their ro- rotation too much, you know, since they have so many talented young guys coming in with uh, Sarek, obviously, could possibly be the rookie of the year, and if Embiid comes back healthy. So I think that Philly will be really interesting to watch, and, uh, the, you know, the Lakers will have a big impact on where where the Celtics go uh, heading next next year. Yeah, the the Lakers doubly because, you know, we were kind of counting on the Lakers to take Lonzo Ball. And as I was saying, the Celtics probably taking Josh Jackson. There is still a small group of people who think the Lakers could take Josh Jackson at that number two spot. And that is what would really shake things up. But that would shake things up regardless of this trade. 
and I don't think the Lakers will end up doing that. I think that this has all been a smokescreen with their, you know, leaks about Josh Jackson. I think that they will end up going with Lonzo Ball at that number two spot just because it, it makes too much sense not to happen. And so if the, if the Celtics do go Josh Jackson, I think you probably see De'Aaron Fox go at the number four spot just because I'm, I'm not thinking that Phoenix is going to go with Jason Tatum. I just think that's a very poor fit for their team. I, I actually, I don't know. Because the whole Jonathan Isaac rumors, as we discussed on our last podcast about him canceling his workouts and everything, that, that could potentially point to them looking at Jonathan Isaac there. But again, that that's something that would have shaken up differently regardless of this trade. So the top 10, I think, is going to be a lot more interesting than we've kind of given it credit for uh, leading up to the draft. And this trade has certainly added to the intrigue around this top 10 for sure. Just, you know, two teams shaking up their spots and the number one pick in this draft heading to a, a different city. Yeah, of course. It'll be interesting to see what the Celtics have to do in the offseason. They have lots of assets. They need to pay a lot of people. Of course, they, since they don't have Markel Fultz, a premier point guard, they need to pay Isaiah Thomas. The man's jumping with joy, you know. He's doing a little salsa dance knowing that he's going to get 200 milli in a big truck pulling up to his house pretty soon so once he signs that contract that of course he's been looking looking for since you know he's only been paid what i think he's paid like six million a year now on his current contract which is highly underpaid so and they also have to pay avery bradley too so they do have a lot of pieces that are you know will be interesting to see you know who they pay and you know how they can maneuver around paying people but also you know bringing in a a superstar so i i don't write off boston for getting that number one spot but i am very concerned about isaiah thomas's hip injury of course he's a little guy five nine but he played he hurt his hip and then he continued to play through it in the uh eastern conference finals and then hurt it again so uh, from what i've heard that's a pretty serious injury so if they do pay him a lot of money since he is the cornerstone of their team right now, and he's injured, you know, I don't know how well he's going to be able to deal with it or if he's able to make a full recovery. So, obviously, hopefully he's good by next season, but that's certainly something, you know, that you have to consider if, you know, if he is a little beat up from last year. Yeah, I don't know if Boston will have the cap space to renegotiate and extend Thomas or Bradley if they end up signing a Gordon Hayward or a Blake Griffin. So they probably wouldn't have to make those decisions on paying those guys until next offseason, unless, of course, they wanted to use that cap space to renegotiate and extend instead of using that cap space to sign a player, which I guess they might do if they strike out in free agency, but it's hard to see. It's hard for me to see them not being able to get either of Griffin or Hayward. They, they're just too attractive as a basketball option for both of those players. But, yeah, Boston's going to be an extremely interesting team to watch the rest of this offseason and all of next season, and... With so much of their future depending on other teams, you know, obviously the Lakers are going to play a big part in Boston's planning for their future, given their control of their pick. That's that's uh, highly interesting, something uh, definitely to watch there. And I think I think we've covered most everything for this trade. We we wanted this to not be too long. Just you know, an initial reaction to the trade. You got anything else you want to talk about, Cesar? 
Uh, no, man. I think that it'll be interesting. The Eastern Conference will have a lot more drama this year, you know. Uh, uh, hairline list LeBron, uh, uh, the new bald, you know, king of the king of the court, and Philly, you know, moving up, of course, and Boston, you know, bringing lot, bringing Zizek from Europe, who I think is an elite talent, you know, having Thomas back, having Bradley back, and you know, if they do pursue a Gordon Hayward or you know a Blake Griffin, I would, you know, of course, prefer. Gordon Haywood over Blake Griffin. Uh, you know, I don't really mess with Blake Griffin like that. But uh, I think that that'll be very interesting and seeing, you know, they could easily get a number an, another number one seed if, you know, the Cavs continue their whole resting thing. But if the Cavs do get another superstar, as I think, you know, they move Kevin Love they or they keep him, they move Kevin Love and, they, you know, they bring in, they say, hey, we got to get Paul George or somebody to compete with, you know, the Warriors. You know, maybe the Celtics, it's not their time yet since, you know, the Cavs obviously need somebody else or something else to compete with the Warriors. So if they do, you know, get another piece, then the Celtics could be playing catch up too. So uh, that'll be interesting. You know, lots of drama next year. So that'll be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, real quick. I, I don't think the Cavs are getting a superstar without giving up Kevin Love just because they have basically nothing in assets outside of him unless they want to give up Kyrie Irving but yeah that's a whole nother podcast the Cavs very interesting team this offseason but yeah the Eastern Conference is going to be really fun next year uh, Celtics could potentially have the number one seed the number one pick and the number two pick which that would be downright ridiculous that'd be some masterful work on the part of Danny Ainge but you know we got a whole nother year to wait on it and what we don't have to, a year to wait on is this year's draft you know this Thursday coming up. Uh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Can't wait for it to see where all these teams go. And it's going to be really fun. Yeah. Uh, I think the last, that would be crazy. The last team that had something like, uh, obviously two top, you know, two top three, top five picks was, I think the Minnesota Timberwolves where they had number four and five in the year where they drafted Ricky Rubio, obviously passing up on Steph Curry, the goat. But outside of that, uh, you know, that that's wild, dude. Lots of lots to talk about, and we'll catch y'all soon, and with some more uh, NBA draft knowledge for your head top. Yeah, I think it was four and six that year. I'm not positive, but yeah, yeah, it's been a while since the teams had picks like that. Uh, we'll catch you soon. Uh, can't wait for this draft, and we got some more stuff coming this week before we get up to the draft. So, be ready. Yeah, the Cavs had one and four though. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Tristan Thompson, Kyrie. That's right. Yeah. All right, bye. All right, see ya.